I did it again. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, Grace Church. Um, you can tell I'm nervous. Um, I, I told 9 a.m. the last couple times I came up here, I didn't, uh, I didn't take a peek at the crowd. But this Sunday, I, I looked around, made sure I saw how many people were here and uh, so that I could be prepared for what I was looking at when I turned the corner up here. So, um, but I, I'm going to get into today's sermon and uh, just pray with me first because uh, I need it. All right. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. And God, I just pray again, Lord, that you would get me out of the way, that your word would go forth and they would hear you and not me. And um, I thank you, Lord. Give me the strength, Lord, um, to do this again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when I was thinking about this sermon and I was thinking of the title, I came up with a new name, a new story. And it made me think that every single name has a story usually to it or a label. And, you know, I was thinking, I, I posed the question to you, what, what is your, what's the story of your name? What's behind your name? Because I know for me, um, I was almost called Demetrius, right? And uh, my mom ended up hearing what the meaning of Matthew was. And, uh, and she said, that's it. Um, but I'm not going to tell you the meaning of that until we get to the end of this sermon, okay? Um, but it made me think, and, and I was thinking about my name throughout my whole life. And, you know, my name's Matt Smith, Matthew Smith. And it's funny because there's nothing like walking into an interview and people see me walk in and, hey, I'm Matt Smith. And they're like, what in the, who? that's not what I was expecting, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of times I would think like, oh, no, look, my name doesn't match my ethnicity. I'm Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican, but that Smith comes from my Irish and German side. I got a little bit in me, right? And so I would think these things through. And then I get to high school and my name morphed from Matt. And, and, and Maddie, so then all of a sudden it just turned to Smith. I just became my last name. Smitty, Smith, get off the field. Smith, you did it. You know, that was my, my name now. But then I became a, a follower of Jesus, and I can truly say that I love the meaning of my name. And, and like I said, I'm going to save that for the end. So let's read our passage. We're in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27 down to 32. And it reads this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, where we find ourselves in the passage today is we're in the region of Galilee. And we find ourselves, uh, Jesus encountering a man named Levi. And Levi was a tax collector sitting at his uh, tax booth. But most scholars think that in that Galilee region, he was actually a toll booth, a toll booth on a road called Via Maris. The Via Maris was like the Route 66 of the Middle East in the world. 
It was literally the route that took you from Egypt all the way through Israel, and it took you to Europe and Damascus. And so, Matt, so Levi, he's in his toll booth, and he's right on that road that leads you through that everyone has to come through to import their goods and, their, and, and everything that they do for their business. And it's interesting to me because what's funny is that the scholars say that the toll booth there was taking about 30 to 50% of people's income. I mean, how much, like, don't you love payday? And then you just see all the, the taxes that come out of your check. It's like, yes, I can't wait to look at that. My gross pay, I didn't need that money, right? And so you think of these people, you think of Levi, but the reason why it was 30 to 50% is because tax collectors oftentimes marked up the prices for their own gain. See, what we have to understand is that at this time, a Jew who is traveling through this road oftentimes got hit with the Roman tax, the tax collectors markup, and then their tithe. And I mean, honestly, wouldn't you love that guy? The tax collector. No, he was a traitor. He was a traitor, an extortioner, and a thief. Because their markups always seem to produce more education for them and some nice houses. And at that time, most tax collectors would speak about three, the three of the main languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, which was a sign of wealth. Not all the time, but sometimes. And so can I just bring Levi right now into the 21st century? Levi is that guy who, you know how when there's a bickering or a fight going on and then someone's holding one guy back? That's who Levi is. He's loud going, I'll fight you, I'll fight you. Hold me back, hold me. He doesn't really want to fight. He's just happy that there's a big guy holding him back. That's who Levi is. Levi's saying, give me your money, but the Romans, they got my back. See that? And so I'm going to give you just a, uh, someone from William Lane. He, he paraphrases this. He says, once a Jew took this job, no matter what reason, they were disqualified as a witness in court. They were kicked out of synagogue and they were disgraced to his own name and family. I have to drill that in. Like this is who Levi is perceived as and it's the labels of who Levi is at this moment right now. And so if we put ourselves in his shoes, I have to think to myself, though, wait, but what's the story of Levi's name? Because Levi's a special name. Levi means unity. It means joined in harmony. It's one of the tribes of, the, of, of Israel. So the word Levi was the name of this is the unity of Israel. And I was thinking to myself, why did his parents name him that? Did they have high aspirations for him? Did they call him Levi thinking that he was going to be a man after God's heart? And then I think to myself and I say, but no matter what, once Levi took this job, he was a traitor and a thief. These labels are probably in his mind, and he's probably thinking, I'm going to live with these for the rest of my life. So what's a label? What is it? A label is to use a word, name, or phrase to describe someone or something, 
especially one that is not completely fair or completely true. Uh, let, me, let me put it in context here with a quote, okay, from Soren Kierkegaard. It says this, A fire broke out backstage in a theater. The clown came out to warn the public. They thought it was a joke and applauded. He repeated it, and the claim was even greater. See that? No matter what the clown does, he will always be that clown to those people. He could be telling the truth, and he's still lying to them. He could be giving them a warning, and he's still a jokester. And we find Levi in this story dealing with the same thing. See, but here's the problem. No matter what, once you start to believe that label, it starts to change your identity. And that's the problem. That's the issue. And I was thinking about this, but even like sometimes with cancel culture, as soon as somebody messes up or when someone fails, we're just quick to shut them down for good. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus, he, he doesn't do that. I'm going to keep going. Yep. So how do we relate to Levi in this moment? I was thinking of my life, and I want you to think of yours. There are labels of lies that all of us are either believing, still living with, or fighting to overcome. I want you to think of, even when you're young, you're a child, think of those labels that people called you. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're a disgrace. You're a failure. You're just like your mother and your father. No one likes you. Think about all those labels that people, that sin, when, it, when those words have hit our hearts and they stuck and they hurt and they're still living with us today. And then think about the labels that we're trying to overcome. Think about the person who maybe cheated. Once a cheater, always a cheater. You know, think about the self-righteous person, the person who's saying, you know, I, just, I always just do this on my own, trying to save myself. The prideful person who's trying to fight pride every single day. What about the person who's been ensnared by alcohol and drugs and now they're labeled as an alcoholic or a drug addict and that name seems to follow them forever? Once we believe these labels, they rob us from the abundant life that Christ wants to give us. We start to live in shame and in fear and in anger. And those things begin to shape our identity, and then they shape our relationships with others. You see, we're afraid to let people in because we don't want to be rejected again. We're afraid to love people unconditionally because we think that they're going to hit us with one of these labels again. And then we, we have anger because we want to stay in control of our fear. So where's Levi in this story? Is he angry? Is he fearful? Is he walking in shame, going to his tax booth every day? Where are we today? Where are you? But in a moment, in a moment, Jesus enters the scene, and a new story for Levi begins. You know, he says something to him. He says, follow me and be my disciple. That's the first label of hope 
that I think or I would guess that Levi has maybe heard for years. Come follow me. Be my disciple. What does Jesus see in Levi that others don't? What does Jesus see in Levi that Levi doesn't even see in himself? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So in this moment right now, Jesus is told by his father, invite Levi, the tax collector, to come follow you. But do you hear how radical this is? See, it's radical because he is literally, Jesus is a born and bred Jew. He knows who Levi is. He knows the reputation that he has. He's a thief. He's a traitor. And Jesus is going, hey, you, come follow me. For me to put that into context, that would literally be like the person at your job who's maybe going through a divorce and people are starting to hear about it. Jesus is saying, I want to talk to that person. I'll give you another example. It's like the person who is in, in, in the coffee shop, who's maybe dressed in a way that you don't know their gender. Jesus is saying, I want to talk to that person. Jesus is saying, the, the person that maybe you found out who just became an alcoholic or a drug addict, and you're shocked that they fell to this. Jesus is saying, I want to talk to that person. And to me, there's just so many questions as to why does God want to talk to those people with those labels? They seem like lost causes, don't they? Why does Jesus want to talk to them? The answer is in verse 29. Look what it says. It says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with him. See, the reclining at a table with him is literally, you could look at it as Levi invited Jesus to come to his home to throw him a dinner and make him the guest of honor. Jesus is in pursuit of this. With every single one of us, he's in pursuit with the chance to start a relationship around a plate of food. He wants to talk with us. He wants to be with us. He wants the lost causes. And believe it or not, brothers and sisters, no matter where you think you are, we're all lost causes. And so Jesus is knocking on the door of Levi's heart right now. And he's saying, can I come in? Can I eat with you? Can we start this relationship? And as soon as Levi answers the door and says, you will be the guest of honor in my home, the home of my heart, Jesus says, I promise to make you the apple of my eye. I promise to be the lover of your soul. He says, I promise that I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. But why? Why is Jesus doing this? 
Why is he pursuing us? This is why we sang the song, goodness of God is running and chasing after me. Why is Jesus coming and knocking on the door of our hearts every single day through our ups and downs, through our trials? Why is he coming and saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in? Because God didn't make humanity as an experiment. He made humanity because he loved us as a bride for his son, Jesus. You see, in a way, Jesus is handing out wedding invitations 2,000 years ago to Levi. And he's handing out wedding invitations in 2023. He's the same God, yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so look at this verse. The, the Bible says it. Re Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he eat with me. There it is. It's the start of a relationship. And at the start of a relationship, this is why the tax collectors and sinners wanted to be around Jesus. Because their labels of their whole lives were lies. And now Jesus is getting ready to tell them the labels of truth. Can I give them to you? Let me share the labels of truth. The tax collectors and sinners are eating with Jesus. Everyone who's avoiding them, they bring dishonor to themselves and their families. But God sees the beginning from the end. God sees past the human labels that we put on ourselves and what people put on, our, on us. He sees past the lies. He sees past the fall of man. He sees past the sin because of the work of Jesus. He sees the labels that you and me were always meant to be. He says, I see you as a son and daughter. I see you as a called out one a disciple, an overcomer, a, a member of the royal priesthood, saints redeemed. And here's the beautiful thing. He sees his people and he says this to us. Hey, the world may not be listening to you, but you're heard. He says you're gifted. He says you're new. You're forgiven. You're adopted in the family. You're victorious. You are saved. Those are the labels of truth that Jesus is presenting to us and the tax collectors in this moment. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save it. Jesus came to get sin out of the way so that you and me can walk in these, in these labels with faith and with boldness. And this is how God sees you. And when you answer the call from Jesus to trust him, now you're in a pursuit of intimacy, not a pursuit of works. But now I kind of want to flip to the other side here. I want to show the contrast of what's going on. Why do people miss Jesus? Why do we miss Jesus? And it's in verse 30. And it says this. It says, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Do you think the Pharisees are asking this question out of curiosity, or are they trying to clown Jesus? What are you, 
Jesus, what are you doing? You eating with them? Why aren't you eating with us? We're good. We follow God. Don't, you should be sitting down with us. Leave those people on the side. But Jesus in this story was teaching us something. The Pharisees are missing Jesus because of two main doctrines. The first one is they're believing that salvation comes from segregation. They're believing that if you just stay away from those sinners, dirty, keep yourself clean, then when you stand before God, he's going to say, you're shiny. And then the second thing that they're believing is salvation by the law. They're really saying, I'm not trusting God to provide righteousness for me. I can do that by myself. And brothers and sisters, if you're like you and me, if, you and me, if you're like me, I, how easy is it to fall into the snare of this? You know why? Because we're all suffering from one sin, the main key to it. And it's our own will. That's it. These two things, salvation by segregation. Keep those people over there. I'll keep myself clean and I'll make myself righteous for God. Both of them are saying, I want control. I want control on how I get there. And what Jesus is showing them and he's trying to help the Pharisees see and he's trying to help all of us see is that the common root of all of us is that we want independence from God to do our own thing. It, it, you know, I love that. I mean, not love. I, I remember that expression, YOLO. You know what YOLO was for? YOLO was just to walk around saying, I only live once so I can do my own thing. And that's the key. That's the root of our rebellion. But look at what it does. I, sell, I preach this to myself. I say my will feeds my pride. My pride lets me taste glory. And then I fill that thing up every two weeks like my gas tank. My will feeds my pride. My pride lets me taste glory. And the glory lets me keep going back for more. And that's the trap. And that's what he's showing the Pharisees and the difference between the tax collectors. Now, you have to understand something. We have to understand something. The tax collectors and the Pharisees, they're all in the vicinity of Jesus. But it doesn't mean everybody wants Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners are suffering from doing their own will the same way the Pharisees. But the reason why the Pharisees are scarier is because the sinners and the tax collectors, they've done their own will and they know it doesn't work. And they get reminded by everyone else that you're a failure, it doesn't work. But the trap with Pharisees and the trap with religion is religion says, I hide my brokenness so that I can keep getting the glory and I don't think I'm actually sick. And that's the scary part of religion. And that's why Jesus is saying, that's why I'm eating with them. And that's why you're missing me. Because you think you don't need me at the table. But what I'm telling you is that I'm sitting with them to let you know, Pharisees, you can come to the table too because you need it. 
Sin puts us all on the same playing field. And the trap of religion is that it's this ultimate facade. And it leads people to yourself instead of Jesus. And I, I think about this, but this, I want you to really hear this. I really, I pray you understand this. The Pharisees don't understand that the man in the pulpit needs grace just as much as the prisoner in jail. You see that? I'm not up here because I'm good. I'm up here because I know I need grace. That's why Paul can say, I'm a chief of sinners. He, he's making an, a, an a unbelievable statement of saying, those people in jail and me, were on the same playing field. And oftentimes in our walks, we can forget this. You know, I read this verse. It's, it's some sobering words for me. It's uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this. Man, my hand is sweating, I'll tell you. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the king of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You see it? The works are not what's getting us, you, me in. It's do you know the guy who has the keys to the gate? Heaven is not a statement like you're going to get up there and you're going to look at Jesus and you're going to say, hey, I'm ready for my salvation. Wasn't I a good Christian? No. Jesus is saying, do you know me? And he says, those who do the will of my father. How do you know the will of the father? You know the will of the father by intimacy. And that's what Jesus is drawing us in. And he's trying to teach everyone from the tax collectors and the sinners to the Pharisees. And it's interesting, too, because I think about this and I say to myself, you know, like God is working in our lives and he's knocking on the doors of our hearts every single day. And everything is constantly helping us try to understand that you can't do this on your own on our own. Like, how many of us fall into this trap of we try, we go, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life, I'm yours. And then all of a sudden we try to be a Christian without him. We start doing this thing like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work a little harder. I'm going to overcome these things. I'm going to get God to love me. That's not going to work. He's trying to set us free from that. Jesus died so that you and me could get off the hamster wheel. And yet we'd say to ourselves, God, okay, I got it from here. And he goes, keep leaning on me. So what are the labels of God's kingdom? What are his labels? I'm going to bring us home here. Verse 31 to verse 32, look what it says. And Jesus answered them, those who are well 
have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, Jesus is teaching a doctrinal concept that I hope will set us free this morning from, from especially the bondage of religion. I want you to hear this. I answer the call of Christ because I'm loved. I do not answer the call of Christ to be loved. You see that? You are called because you are loved first. You are not called to be used. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. How are our righteous deeds like filthy rags? Because when you're pursuing performance to be loved, your righteousness is trying to gain approval, trying to gain acceptance, trying to gain love, and ultimately trying to gain heaven. And you know what God says? That reeks with our will, our pride, and our own glory. But Romans 4 verse 3 says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. See, when you're doing it on your own, the works will never be enough. The bill is too high. But when you believe and trust in Jesus and you put all your faith that Jesus, when I know you, you give me righteousness based on our union. That's what it means that one become flesh. That's why this is a marriage, because Jesus is saying the righteousness that I have, I'm giving it to you because you know me and you and me are one. When you lean on Jesus, he says spotless, clean. Now you and me are free to do deeds, not looking to be loved, but we're doing deeds because we are loved. And therefore, when we see the people on the street, we say, I'm just sharing with you with God what God gave me. The word became flesh. Jesus lived the righteous life you and me couldn't. Jesus suffered the death that you and me both all deserve. And Jesus was the one that was raised to life on the third day. And he was declared the son of God, the one who deserves all the glory. So if that's the case, then Jesus, the redeemer, he's the ultimate label changer. He's the one who changes labels and names. He's the one who takes away the ultimate label. He says, give me the sinners. I'll turn them into child, children of God. God's kingdom is filled with people who realize they are insufficient. God's kingdom are filled. God's kingdom is filled with people who are empty. God's kingdom are, is filled with people who realize they were empty and realize that they weren't enough. God's kingdom is filled with peoples whose name have been changed. God says, give me the weak, I'll make them strong. God says, give me the broken lives, I'll make pottery. God says, give me the poor, I'll have them walk the streets of gold. 
God says, give me the uneducated. I'll make them wise. God says, give me the shepherd boy. I'll slay Goliath with him. God says, give me the army of 300. We'll take down the thousands. God says, give me the addicts. I'll satisfy them with living water. God says, give me the prostitutes. I'll make them daughters of the most high. God says, give me the orphans. I'll invite them into the father's house. God says, give me the prodigal sons and daughters. I'll give them a second chance. God says, give me the murderers. I'll make them pastors. God says, give me the lost and the wanderers. I'll make them missionaries. God says, give me Levi, the tax collector. I'll change his name to Matthew, a gift from God. Give all those labels and names and your brokenness. Stop hiding it. We're not here to hide it. We're here to give them to Jesus and watch him give us the labels of truth that you and me lost in the Garden of Eden. And he's restoring the day you say, come into my life. So let's close with verse 29. It says this. It says, and leaving Levi and leaving everything, he rose and followed him, followed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's the invitation to all of us. That Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts every day. And he's saying, all I want is the greatest currency in heaven. And it's trust. And trust is faith. And you know what those two things declare to God? They declare that, God, I trust you. Therefore, your intimacy is growing and you love him. That's why he's in pursuit of our trust. Because you can't have intimacy without it. And so when Levi says, I'm going to leave it all and follow you, Jesus, he's saying what I pray all of us would say. Lord, I'm done trying to fight this battle and this life on my own. I can't do it. I'm going to lean all my weight on you. Everything. I'm going to put it all on you. And I'm going to trust that you'll carry me through. You're the one who's going to give me righteousness. You're the one who's going to give me the love. You're the one who's going to bring me home. Put all your weight on him. He'll never fail. Never fail. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for your goodness. But Jesus, we declare this morning that you have won the victory. We declare that you are the one who's calling us and you've, you loved us first. And so I pray that anyone here today, this morning, I pray that we would answer your call, we would answer the door, and we would begin this relationship to dine with you. And God, we know, and we say it back to you, we trust that you got us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.